Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with the hosts of Frans and Friends about recruitment and DE&I efforts within organizations. Also here with our strawberry tart herself, Miss Mindy Joe. Miss Mindy, how are you? I am fantastic. I'm not sure why I have to be a tart, but I am fantastic. <laughs> Although I do love strawberry ice cream and strawberry milk, so I'm that's probably one of my favorites. are coming at you live. I am Jay Franzi and I'm here with the Ben to my Jerry's Mr. Keith sensing sir. Keith, how are oh, you? No, I do got that one. Yeah, I'm a big Muforia light fan. All right, folks, let's go ahead and bring them on. We have a, tonight we have an award winning best selling author, an educator and a thought leader. He is hailing from the great state of Utah. Mr. Jonathan Westover. Jonathan, sir. How are you? Hey, hey thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Right. Glad to have very you. good to have you, sir. Yes, welcome. How is it in the West Coast right now, buddy? Giving some, uh, you know, it's, some, uh, it's been nice and hot. Uh, go, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say you're supporting Keith back there. We don't like that. We're usually an East Coast show, but Keith, you know, <laughs> comes on us here. He, he hits us from the West Coast, and now he's got some backup. That's right. <laughs> I love that Utah sand you have up there. It's very fine, very bizarre, easy to get stuck in. <laughs> Keith yeah, is a, yeah. A I'm, I'm in the middle of the state, uh, and so we're we're uh, you know nice nice canyons and lots of evergreens. You go further south, and definitely the red rocks and the mm. the red sand, and and yeah. you don't want to get stuck in there uh, or the the red mud. Yeah, that stuff is bizarre. Well, sir, you have a lot to go over. You are an author, you're an ed educator, you're a thought leader, an HR consultant. You have a podcast. So let's just jump in. Let's pick a spot. Let's start with the podcast. Let's tell us a little bit about that because we are, you know, obviously fellow podcasters and we like to talk to others. Yeah, thank you. So I run the Human Capital Innovations podcast. Uh, I've been doing it for what? Uh, Pre-pandemic uh, is right when I had started, so it's been going on about 
16, 17 months. And uh, it's just been tons of fun. I've interviewed so many wonderful people uh, from across the globe. And we talk about organizational leadership and people management topics. Uh, some episodes uh, are, are me going over, you know, new research or new industry reports, um, talking about, you know, new released videos from Harvard Business Review or, or other, you know, outlets like that. Um, but the vast majority are interviews with, uh, with other thought leaders, with other executives, and uh, sometimes other scholars to talk about these organizational leadership and people management issues. So it's tons of fun. I've really, really enjoyed it and uh, invite y'all to come over and check out that podcast. No, your podcast is awesome. It's an amazing, amazing podcast. And um, I just, we talk about it a lot. We, we're a leadership show, so we talk about leadership a lot. And you seem to have a, a vast background. And I've heard you talk about it on your show, and I know I've seen it in your, your bio and your history. But you've got a, a fantastic background of education, and you're also an educator yourself. So one of the things that we talk about on here a lot is education, traditional versus non-traditional education, and where we think the field of education is going in the future. So can you go ahead and just share an opinion or two on that thought? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in experiential education. So um, certainly as I've gone throughout my educational you know, career and uh, obtained my degrees. I, I've, I worked the entire time. So I was always through my undergrad master's and PhD, I was always working. And, uh, I think that enriched my education, my formal, you know, uh, classroom education. And I occasionally had classes where I was able to go out and actually directly apply what I was doing in the classroom right then and there that semester through class projects, consulting projects, those sorts of things. And so as I finished, um, my PhD and, and entered academia as a professor, and that was one of my goals that I always had, that I wanted to make sure that my students leave my classes shovel ready, so to speak. Like they, they will leave my class with skills, competencies, and capabilities that they can go and hit the ground running and make a difference immediately in any organization they might be a part of. Uh, and that's really our philosophy in our whole program. So I am a department chair and I teach in our organizational leadership department, the, our HR program. And so the, the goal is, yeah, every every student that comes out of our program, they should be able to um, be a functioning HR practitioner by the time they graduate. And in fact, in the meantime, they've done internships um, in, in HR. They've done usually six to eight consulting projects with companies in various HR areas. And, uh, so they have, they have experience, they have, um, you know, tools in their toolkit that they can rely on and start making a difference immediately upon graduation. Uh, I'm, so I'm biased, but I mean, I, I think that's <laughs> where education really makes a difference. And I believe that's the future of, of higher ed. I think programs that are, um, there's definitely a need for, uh, I, I'm a big believer in interdisciplinary work. I'm a big believer in the humanities. I believe there's a lot of value in in um, various disciplines, um, but I do believe we need to to prepare people for the workforce as well. So we want to create well-rounded um, individuals who can think critically and who can tackle really serious, complex societal problems 
um, but they also need to like have practical skills so they can out, go out and make that difference. It can't just be theoretical. And traditionally in higher ed, it's it's been largely a theoretical kind of an endeavor. And you don't, you know, it's not until you get out into your career that you actually start to put it into practice. I, I think that's backwards. So certainly that's what we try to do in, in our program. And it's what I, I think, you know, if, if universities are going to continue to be relevant in the future, that more and more universities are going to have to do. Wow. I, you know, I've, I've been trying to get Jay to be more personable and learn soft skills, and it's just not happening. So, I mean, in academia, right, we've, we've got the theoretical, we got books, you know, you, you got to research papers, but how do you teach soft skills and what type of soft skills are necessary for somebody that wants to be successful in an HR field? Yeah, I think, the, well, the, the way I go about doing it, I mean, in, in addition to reading about it and talking about it, and we do case studies and those sorts of things, where the rubber meets the road is really students going out and applying, you know, the things that we're talking about in class to real world, to real world situations. And so, um, you know, for example, I'm teaching an organizational development and change management course right now. Um, I mean, traditionally, like when I went through grad school or even my undergrad, when I was taking a course like that, we did lots of readings, we took tests, we did some case studies, we had class discussions. Um, my students, we do those things. Uh, well, we don't do exams, but we do, we do papers, we do case studies, we do lots of discussions. Um, they read stuff, they watch videos, but then they are doing a, a change management uh, and uh, organizational change project with an actual organization um, and so the way the semester is, is designed is we basically talk about a concept in class and then that's the stage of their project. So then once they do stuff that week, now they're going to go out and apply it in the field and actually do it for this organization. And they build their capabilities as they go throughout the semester. And because of that, they, they do these team-based projects uh, with a real client. They have to not only learn the discipline of organizational development and change, they have to uh, develop um, project management skills. They have to develop, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the term. Uh, they, they, they really have to focus on developing, um, client relations skills. They have to develop team, uh, interpersonal, uh, skills and team dynamics to be able to have a positive team experience. I'm sure you all remember, um, that probably doing group projects in school were not your favorite. Uh, it's usually not most people's favorite, most people despise team projects at school. Um, and I want to change that because the reality is most people are going to be working on team projects, group projects when they're out in the workforce. So they need to actually figure out how to do it well and manage things like the free to writer effect and hold each other mutually accountable and um, develop trust amongst their team. All these things are super important. And so we just build it into the course and build it into their experience and hold them accountable to all of those things in addition to the the outcome of what they need to produce for their client. And uh, it, it becomes, you know, something where they're developing knowledge, skills, abilities, but also these soft skills, um, you know, so a, a disciplinary knowledge, skills and abilities, but then these soft skills that are hopefully, you know, will suit, suit them well in any area they might take themselves as they go throughout their career. Even if they end up not, you know, doing HR, right? You, you, you need interpersonal skills, you need communication skills, you need, uh, you need project management skills, you need critical thinking skills, uh, you need all of these things, pretty much in any customer facing, um, you know, job where you're going to be interacting with people, even if it's not HR. 
Very nice. Very nice. Now, you're also an HR consultant. So people reach out to you on various topics to help them through their HR issues. What are you finding to be like a, a, a predominant topic that people are asking for your advice on? What's the, I do what's a the lot number of, one problem? Yeah. Uh, the number one problem. Um, I mean, honestly, during this pandemic, as, as you can imagine, people have been focusing a lot on how do they manage teams remotely effectively. So, so uh, dispersed workforce, geographically dispersed um, teams, and there, there, there's so much possibility that comes once we allow people to work remotely and we don't have to all be in the same geographic location, just like the four of us, like we're scattered all over and it's fine. Like we can get connected, have a nice conversation and, and do something that's meaningful. And this, it's true everywhere. Like, and, and I think that that was certainly the case pre pandemic, but uh, it took the pandemic to kind of shove the slow adopters kind of, you know, out the door to be able to, to utilize the existing technologies to, to a lot, you know, to, to leverage them more so they could hmm. to, uh, you know, work with people from all over the place. And so I've, I've worked with a lot of um, groups about how to do that. I mean, it's hard enough to do it when you're like physically together in an office to work together well as a team, uh, to, to, to be creative and innovative and have good outcomes. Um, that's, that's a problem every organization has in my experience, but now that you're trying to do it remotely, you know, in an online environment and, maintain things like company culture values uh, and, and trying to continue to have integration of your team so that they're not just random people doing different pieces of a puzzle, but they're actually working together. Um, so lots of work around that area. Another area that is definitely a huge uh, area of focus for a lot of organizations, especially given some of the social upheaval and um, social justice uh, issues and things like that that have been very prevalent over the past year uh, is uh, DE&I work, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging work. Uh, these are super important to organizations. Um, so, well, I should say, I think most organizations are realizing they need to pay attention to it. Um, some organizations actually take it very seriously and are actually really trying to tackle it and do better. Other organizations realize they need to do something, and so they're just kind of wading into the water and, you know, if for no other reason than for positive PR and to like, at least say they're doing something. Um, but certainly it's, it's, you know, on everyone's radar right now, everyone's trying oh, yeah, to work definitely. on that. Definitely. Very sorry. cool. Yes. Definitely. Um, now I love your leadership philosophy. Um, I was listening to another podcast that um, you were the guest on, I believe it was the hero podcast. Um, and I really love the fact that you're talking about authenticity, uh, hard work, persistence. These are all things that resonate. Um, so I want to throw that out there, servant leadership. Uh, so I want to make sure that our audience knows. I mean, these are the things that you believe in. And I want to go back to something you said earlier about that teamwork piece, because we do talk in, in theoretical, like, you know, do this, do this. But can you respond to maybe a scenario for us where we have a team project, whether that's in the office or maybe that is in um, a college setting and maybe someone isn't doing what they should be doing? How, how would you suggest 
one handle that? Because I think this, this is definitely, I know this is definitely something that we have faced. We have all faced. What's the best yeah. way to handle it? There's always a yeah, it, crowd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's always a challenge. I've never been part of a team or a group in any setting where it hasn't come up, where there hasn't been some conflict, some, yeah. some issue. Uh, so I, I think one thing I talk with both organizational leaders and with my students about a lot is setting expectations early and then reinforcing them often. Right. So when you start working with a new team, whether it's at work or at school or whatever, even if it's at home, right? Um, when you're when you're trying to do something with a team, you have to sit down. You have to have conversation about team norms, team expectations. You have to understand uh, communication preferences of people on that team and how they prefer to be interacted with, how they prefer to be held accountable, uh, and come up with some some shared norms around how you're going to hold each other accountable. Establishing that mutual accountability and trust element early on is absolutely essential. I mean, my opinion is most people, not everyone, but most people, yeah. they they want to do a good job. They want to do a good job at school. They want to do a good job at work. Um, but, you know, some people are more social than others. Some people are more extroverted than others. Some people, uh, you know, like to work by themselves more and other people really like to work with other people more. And so you just have all these different styles, all these different approaches. And when you start to get people together in teams, despite whatever their best initial intentions might be, unless you've talked that through first, so you kind of understand where each other's coming from, then people start to really uh, have some assumptions, a lot of often false assumptions about why things aren't working out with their team member. Um, One thing that I often will try to point out uh, to, to, to people. We, we often talk about the free rider. And of course, that's an easy, low hanging fruit. We can say, oh, that, that darn free rider, they don't do anything. Rarely do people really think about the opposite of the free rider effect. And that is that like overbearing, controlling team leader who's basically a jackass, right? Um, and I say that as someone who's been there. Like I've been in that role. And I remember as a student, I remember thinking, I'm the only one taking this seriously. I'm the only one that cares about getting a good grade. Why doesn't anyone else want to do a good job? Why doesn't anyone else want to pull their weight? And you know what? I was a jerk um, to the other people on my team. And, you know, and so like some of it's them probably not doing as much as they should, but a lot of it was me. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Uh, And I, I see that every time, every semester I'm working with groups of students on these projects there's always, you know, someone who's maybe not doing as much as they should, but there's always somebody who's overbearing, who's too controlling, and they need to learn to like collaborate and let go and to, to let go of control and to trust their team more. And when they can do that, then those people who are maybe more shy or, or less uh, inclined to really assert themselves, they're going to, to come out of their shell a little bit more. But when there's that controlling, assertive person, like I've been in the past, uh, those people shut down and, and, and then you start to think, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Cause then you're like, ah, oh, see, they're not doing anything. They're just waiting for me to tell them what to do. And, and then everyone's frustrated. So I think right. we, we need to look at it from all angles and not assume bad intentions, not assume laziness, not assume stupidity or idiocy. Um, you know, these are all things that we often quickly jump to when people aren't doing what we think they should be doing. Again, this comes back to set the tone early, get to know each other, set the norms, set expectations, 
create mechanisms where you can hold each other accountable. And you know what? When you do those things, it's it's not rocket science, but when you do those things, most of the other stuff takes care of itself. It doesn't mean there's not ever going to be any disputes or concerns or you know p- people disagreeing, but th- the teams start to learn how to work together and to work through those things. And they don't uh, devolve into this dysfunctional, negative downward spiral that we often see. I love that, that self-awareness piece. And I, you know, that was the best, some of the best advice I had received early on as a leader was assume best intent. Quit trying to, you know, quit trying to overanalyze everyone and think they're out to sabotage you. Just assume best intent and it will all fall into place. And it's so true. And it brings you peace as well. So thank you for that. That's so true. All right, folks, we have reached that point of the show where we move on to the roundtable discussion. We're going to go ahead and turn the microphone over to Keith. He's going to go ahead and facilitate a conversation between the three of us. He's going to pick a topic of his choosing, hopefully one that will tie into tonight's show because the information provided so far tonight has been fantastic. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. We hope that you continue to chime in with such gems throughout the rest of the show. So, Keith, sir, I turn the microphone over to you. All right. Welcome to Franzi and Friends. We are live every Monday and Wednesday, 7 West, 10 East. And every week we cover topics in leadership, corporate culture, business, personal leadership, development. And today, our host, Mr. Jay Franzi, experienced VP of Operations, author, speaker, and leadership coach, and the wonderful Miss Mindy Joe, MED, MBA, certified empowerment coach, and founder of Worry About You Today. And our guest tonight is Mr. Jonathan Westover, PhD, HR guru. Glad to have him on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are going to discuss recruiting techniques in this day and age, has do things have to change? What is still should be the same? What's the tried and true recruiting? And what else is going to be new that we need to really focus on uh, to get recruiting and quality people back into the workplace? So I know one of the things that is kind of near and dear to my heart that has really become a hot topic nowadays and that's going to be flex roles right Uh, offering flexible working roles we've brought this up in past episodes but i've just more and more companies more and more people we talk to i see that this is it's really an important thing so what do you think jay what do we do to kick off the recruiting trends to continue to get more quality people back to work. All right, I'll tackle it. Um, made several points in there, and I'll I'll try to touch on at least one or two of them. Um, one, let's just clarify: when you say flex roles, you mean the flexibility to to work remotely when necessary, work in the office when necessary, manage your time to to the way you see most productive for your role. That's Where cool. in organizations like mine, when we say flex. We're talking about a different type of position. We're talking about more of a utility player that's flexible enough to go work at different locations. So when we say flex, it's somebody who gets paid a premium to be on call all hours of the day or night, or somebody who's trained in 
multiple locations that they can go fill in and work when somebody's sick or when we have a shortage in an area. So there's different types of flex roles and there's definitely opinions on both. Um, but when you're talking about recruiting and I can just, we recruiting is a subject that I study and I study often. I, I find the recruiting process to be something that is constantly moving and we have to constantly be willing to adapt to it. So in my world, we hire a lot of entry level people and the challenges for an entry level person that those challenges change from day to day to month to month and so on. There's always a different challenge in place. You mentioned COVID. COVID presented a whole world of challenges when it comes to hiring an entry-level person, whether that be the salary and the, the um, rates that we pay for those people, or whether that be the health challenges of bringing somebody into work. I work in security. We are essential employees. So that means we have to still go out and work. We're still in the hospitals. We're still facilitating the, the access control of facilities like hospitals, like the larger tech companies that we don't think about. Um, some of these companies like Google and Facebook and, and high-tech companies, they did not shut down during the pandemic. They may be working from home and their staff may be gone, but my staff is still at those locations. They're still you, securing the buildings. So what do you do to attract those entry-level position and keep that healthy flow coming in well that's just it the healthy flow comes with with partnerships and community outreach and career centers and colleges and um you know i say colleges and people just think oh well i'll call up to college and their their placement department will send me people no we have to think deeper than that you know we work in security i'll call the criminal justice department and i'll arrange um, myself or somebody to go in and speak and we'll go in and we'll talk to them and we'll explain to them, yes, this might not be the career path you thought of, but it is a career path and it's a very good one. And even if your, your career is to go into law enforcement when you graduate, well, maybe coming into the security world and getting some experience before you graduate might be the way to go. That's four years that you could be getting, gaining some experience. Cool. So it's all in how we talk to people and the, the path we put forward. Cool. Cool. Miss Mindy. How about you in the educational world, recruiting? How do we make, you know, jobs attractive to bring people back in? How do we get more teachers? How do we get more teachers? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. How do we get more teachers? Um, well, I mean, okay. So education, it's a passion. So a big part of that, um, when you're recruiting for teachers, I mean, some of that is also just within the individual. So um, I am a middle school teacher by day. That's my day job. And I absolutely love my job. So even in a time of crisis, you know, being in the pandemic, um, you know, I still taught. However, we were um, at that point, that fourth quarter of 2019, we were you know, quarantined, of course, in our homes, but still teaching remotely. Um, one disadvantage I had because I had been in the classroom up to that point was the fact that we hadn't, we, we worked online in the classroom, but not as heavily as what we did obviously during quarantine. So that's important to be well-versed in both, um, you know, a remote learning setting and make sure that your students have that as well, as well as in the classroom. So it's good to have that, that hybrid um, approach. As far as recruiting teachers, um, I know like 
my district, you know, we get the word out on social media, uh, referrals from other teachers, referrals through social media. Um, we're a part of different, you know, these large um, application databases, you know, to, to get it out there, um, to um, attract as many people as we can. Let me ask a question while you're talking about that. Sorry to yes. interrupt you, Ms. Mindy, but no. um, do you or do the schools alter their qualifications in order to get more people in the in the school? Are they willing to to lower the bar for education or some other certification that might be needed for the position? You must have the certifications for what you're applying for. Now, uh -huh. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to add on to that. If you know someone in the district, for example, I'm just saying this in general. I'm not saying my district, I'm just saying in general. If you would know someone and maybe you're coming in as an interview as, as a referral and you were able to get um, like an alternative license until you can get the actual certification that you need for that position. Maybe you're really close. Like, you know what? I'm like two months away. I almost have this boss. I can do this. Hmm. You could be hired in and it's more like a probationary period. Like, okay, well you can, you know, we're going to hire you and we're going to pay you. However, we're not going to offer you a contract, an actual contract until you fulfill what you need to for the certifications. Now that can happen. And I've actually, I've, I've experienced that not personally, but with, yeah. you know, friends, you know, in, in school. Now, so it does, yeah. it does uh, change from state to state. Now there are That's some true. states mm -hmm. that offer programs. If you have a bachelor's degree th that uh, you can start teaching as long as you finish the certification within two years or so. Mm. So there are certain programs. I, I know there was a lot of military uh, programs out there you know, from boots to teaching that would take uh, military candidates to finish their degrees and Love get that. them certified to teach. So Mr. Jonathan, sir, what do you think this post-pandemic this post-pandemic world is going to change the way we recruit? I think it's as important as ever, perhaps more important than ever before, that we focus on employer branding and employee experience and that we have, you know, a culture within our organization that's attractive to people. So, so word of mouth and reputation of organizations really matters. Of course, there's all the traditional recruitment approaches and you cast a wide net and hopefully you get some good people in the, in the recruitment funnel and you can get them, you know, into the organization, as Jim Collins said, get the right people on the right bus on the bus in the right seats doing the right things. And there's, you know, that's a hard thing to, to go through. And there's so much we could talk about in terms of all the different pieces of like doing that effectively. But ultimately if you have a bad reputation, it doesn't really matter how much community outreach you do. Um, if you, don't pay a living wage and you treat people terribly, uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and so we, we have to pay people fairly and equitably. We have to create an environment where they, they can fulfill their, you know, they can find meaning and purpose and fulfill their passion at work, at least in some way on a regular basis. Um, and, and when we do that and they have a good environment where they're around other people that they enjoy working with and they can find and connect with their meaning and purpose, then you know what? They're going to tell their friends and you're going to 
you're going to get more referrals. You're going to get more people attracted to that organization. Uh, same thing with, I mean, you think of like the big tech companies that have zero problem attracting an endless pool of like top-notch talent. How do they do it? They invest in their people. They, I mean, not everyone can pay what the big tech giants pay, but they, they pay well, they attract uh, the best people because everyone who's anyone wants to work for that organization because it's a career builder, right? You, yeah. They know it's gonna, it's innovative. You know that you're going to have the resources you need to do cool stuff. You know that you're gonna learn the new systems. You're gonna have the best equipment, whatever. Like you're gonna be able to progress in your career. Even if you only stay at Google for two years, you know what, you do that, you punch your ticket. Now, yeah. now you can move on anywhere else and do whatever you want. Goldman Sachs, another that's another company that I know lots of people, They Goldman churns through people. Like they bring in top talent from all universities all over the country. And most people don't stay at Goldman that long because they work them really hard. Um, but you know what, you go spend a couple of years at Goldman, some people will stick around, but a, a lot of people will, will leave and that's fine because now that now they have an opportunity to go off and do other really great things in their career. So I, I, we really, of course, need to do all of the specific functional things about recruitment, um, casting that wide net. But we, we cannot uh, forget the employee experience element, the, the corporate culture element, and ultimately making it making our organization a place where people can thrive, where they can learn and develop their skills and where they can prepare for the next step in their career. Hmm. Left turn, Bailey Brothers. Your shirt? What? What? What's what's on your oh, shirt? Oh, my T-shirt. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is a this is a gift from my wife. Um, actually, it's it's Bailey Brothers Building and Loan from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. If you, if, you, if you remember that uh, movie. Yeah. It's yes. one of my cool. favorite Christmas. Very cool. If you remember it. It's played every year. Yes. Love it. Love I, it. I've seen that movie perhaps, I don't know, five dozen times. So five it's dozen. one of my favorites. I think I've seen it like five dozen times in one day when Christmas uh, comes around. You know, it's like, hey, 24-7. We got Friday, it's Christmas story for 24 hours. Then we got It's a Wonderful Life for 24 hours. Yeah. Do, anyway. do you know why that is? So when I was a kid, oh. it was that way too. Like in the 80s, in the early 90s. You could turn on like it's a wonderful life would be playing on some channel like pretty much any time of the day um during just the month of december and the reason was because they uh it, it was like open license um nobody had secured the rights and so tv stations could air it without having to pay anything for it oh, and so yeah. nice. so tv stations See, would just key, run it all month long something we should have known <laughs> very cool yeah yeah it did not occur all right, so back on track. Um, one of the things I think that companies need to focus on with recruiting, I mean, it is an employee marketplace right now. I th you know, employees can't pick and choose, you know, what, uh, what they want to interview for, et cetera. And I do believe that companies need to get very serious about internal mobility and developing their internal uh, employees to take on that next director role, that next VP role. So mentorship is very important. And I think companies need to spend a lot more time doing that instead of just saying, yeah, yes, we mentor, but you know, yeah, nobody, nobody sees hide or hair, Jay. So, 
what what is what is actually involved in a mentorship program to be successful i'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from hci press bluer than indigo leadership the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. All right, good question. You mentioned it being an employee market, by the way, and it is for the most part. It seems to be more of an employee market for entry-level positions. If you're looking for a senior level or even mid-level management positions, it's still hard to get those. And you'll start to notice, too, that people are starting to pay less than they have in the past. And I think a lot of that is due to the effects of COVID and people don't have the budgets to spend as much anymore. So I'm interested. I don't know the answers yet, but I'm interested to see where that's going to be going here in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mentorship programs. This is something that I wholeheartedly believe in. And it's uh, things that I put into place in my organization and I, I participate in it regularly. I think it's an extremely important thing. I mentor my team of managers and I expect them to mentor their team beneath them for multiple reasons. I mean, we could be selfish and say it builds bench strength and it builds our next um, level of people. So that way, Keith, when you're ready to be promoted up, we have Mindy to fill right into your spot and we can trickle that all the way down to the frontline employee. And it's a lot easier for us to, to find a frontline employee to fill that, that spot than it is to find a mid or senior level manager to fill that spot. So I think that, that mentorship and training and building bench strength, that's a selfish way to do it. But then we can also look into, you know, just developing people for a career path. And what that does, it works on the culture. Like Jonathan mentioned, it's more about the culture and the branding of that, that organization you're working at. I've had so many people come in just because it's a job. It's a job. And I talk to them about how to turn it into a career. And once I do that, you see that shift in their body language and their, they get up on the edge of their seat. They want to know more, you know, what do you mean I can make that much money or how do I do this? And how do I get involved And that's engagement? And then when I work with them throughout their time in the organization, that's more engagement and we follow up and we keep that relationship going. And to me, that's what a true mentorship program is. I don't care if you like me or you don't like me and I don't care, you know, any other thing that, you know, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to, to, you know, develop the relationship of good, positive work. And when we do that, you're going to learn stuff. 
and you're going to learn what it takes to move up to that next position. Is I'll, I'll end it here with one more comment. I get a lot of people who come to me all the time, and they feel they're ready to, to move up. You know, so-and-so just moved into a management position. Why can't I? And my f- first question is always, well, what have you done for it? You know, what have you done? Have you invested in yourself in any way whatsoever? Because this position you're applying for, it may require some sort of software. Maybe it's scheduling software. Do you know how to use it? Did you shadow anybody? Did you ask anybody for, you know, some assistance? Those are the type of things that people don't think about. And it's very easy. Everybody wants to help. If you come to me and say, can you help me? My answer is going to be yes. And it's the same thing with all my team. Everybody wants to help somebody. It makes them feel good. It it brings value to them just as much as it brings value to the person you're helping. So if you come and ask for help, those are the people you want around. Those are the people you want to develop. Those are the people that I think the mentorship programs um, cater to and they get value from it. So, Mindy, in, in the educational world, what kind of career paths are there? Do they have any active mentorship programs to, you know, from teacher to principal or anything of, of uh, any incentives there? Well, um, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your question, Keith, and I'm going to back up very quickly, too, to add on what, to what Jay was saying as well, okay? So Go the- for it. In the education world, um, it depends on your state, okay? So in Ohio, we have a RESA program, and this is for your resident educators, right? Your, your newbies coming up and um, in education, and they are assigned a mentor. So you are required to have a mentor within the district, and this is every district in Ohio. So you have some, t- some type of mentor, whether that's a current teacher, like you said, a principal. It could actually be a hired mentor um, for the program and they work each of these new teachers for four years they work with them and mentor them into becoming experienced polished teachers ready to go right so that's happening and then of course the state of ohio has their own um set of uh tests they have to run and they have to send in videos to be graded etc etc okay so that happens we also have within our district a voluntary mentorship program for any teacher that says hey i would i'd like to have a mentor and then they pair them up with someone so that's something as well that that could be done of course you have tuition reimbursement so if, if a teacher such as myself would like to become a principal one day then I could go and, you know, ask for permission to take classes at a local college, university, and or online, and I could get my um, licensure so I could possibly be a principal one day. So all of these things are available. Now, I want to tag on to what Jay was saying with the whole mentorship um, program, because at the Fortune 500 company I worked for years ago, we had an official leadership development program and it actually spread um it was you know we were a major corporation we were in atlanta um you know here in ohio i mean just all over the u.s we had different hubs there different um uh, north carolina etc etc so we had these leadership development programs and we would train in-house those that were interested in becoming leaders and let them shadow other leaders outside of their normal departments. And it was a very, it was a really big deal. And when you 
completed that program, and this is in addition to tuition reimbursement, all the normal you know perks there. When you completed that program and a team lead position came up or a unit manager position came up, that those frontline management positions, you were first in line. If you oh, applied yeah. to get that interview, and if you could show, hey, this is what I've done to earn this position, yeah, it was it was um, it was pretty much in the bag at that point. So because you were already networking and doing what you need to do. Very cool. Yeah, great. So great. before I hand it back over to you, Jay, Mr. Jonathan, I want to give you last uh, last comments on this roundtable. But one of the things that uh, you know that I'm looking at, and I've kind of my train of thought just died. Um, <laughs> any, any any last comments uh, about this new age of recruiting, sir? Yeah, and, and just coming back to the mentoring piece, I, I think it, career development traditionally, you know, has has looked at like a specific uh, way of navigating the rungs of the organization, right? So someone comes in at a lower level, and then over time they can develop additional skills and abilities, and they can move up the rungs. I think what we're seeing more and more in today's economy, it's a knowledge worker economy predominantly, right? We still have industrial workers, we have uh, blue collar laborers, um, but 80 plus percent of of the sectoral composition in the US is is service sector, right? So it's knowledge economy, it's knowledge workers. We need, um, you know, people that coming back to an earlier point, an earlier question, you know, people that can take on a, a wide variety of, of responsibilities and roles within organizations and and, you know, hiring somebody you know, with a very specific job description and then like adhering closely to that and never departing, that's like, that's something that almost doesn't happen anymore. Like people need to be able to learn and grow and adapt as they go. And so organizations need to do more than just having one kind of career development pathway, like one career development trajectory. They need to develop multiple career um, pathways and there need to be different on ramps and exit points uh, for different people. And I think spe specifically when we're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, for example. We know that uh, women make a fraction of the earnings of, of a man doing the same position. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But one of the reasons for it is because oftentimes women will make career choices that also are impacted by their family choices. And so they might take time away from their career for a few years or even just a short period of time to have a baby and go on maternity leave. And though even a short period can have negative, you know, detrimental impacts on career progression for women in the old system. It, but if, if organizations can be more thoughtful about multiple on ramps and so they can reintegrate and reincorporate women, for example, back into their workforce, back into their uh, their executive pipeline, their leadership pipeline of the organization, then you, you get to leverage you know, all these great um, people with all their capacities um, and, and providing all sorts of opportunities. And, and unfortunately, what's happening in so many organizations now is that they, they simply, they're, they're missing out on a big segment of the labor force. Um, you know, and so we, I don't want to get too much into, into this, this kind of a subtopic, but ultimately, uh, they, they're missing out on on other people that can really contribute, and there's no good reason for it. it. It's just kind of tradition. It's the old models. We need to rethink that, and we need to provide. We need to have more flexibility, more opportunity for people to engage. 
Another one of my kind of pet peeves is when I see, for example, a job posting that will list things like, you know, uh, university degree, uh, like a bachelor's degree, five years experience, whatever. Okay. Do you really need those things? Is that actually a minimum qualification? Do you really need a college degree for that? Do you really need five years? Five years of experience as a crappy employee shouldn't qualify you to to get a new job, right? Like I can have someone who's a rock star who has six months of experience. I'd much prefer taking them over someone who's a crappy employee for the last 10 years. And so like we have to rethink the way we structure these opportunities for people. Um, otherwise we're just really gonna miss out. And when people who are really skilled, who are passionate, who have lots of potential aren't given the opportunity to progress, they're gonna leave, they're gonna go somewhere else and you're gonna miss out on all, all your best talent. Nice. That's all I need to know. Thank you guys for enlightening me on this subject. <laughs> Mr. Franzi, it's back to you, sir. Thank you. All right. We are going to go ahead and discuss another topic, and it's right up the alley. We're going to just continue the diversity conversation. Um, I like the, the points you've been bringing up, and I'd like to add to it, and let's go ahead and dive a little deeper in the subject. Um, and before we do, you just mentioned job descriptions, which always makes me laugh because I can't tell you how many times I hear, well, that's not in my job description. You know, that's not something I'm supposed to do. And if I ever said that coming up in the ranks, I would never, never have made it to the next step. You know, never once has the, the words, that's not my job come up. If you are entrusting me in doing that, I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove to you I can do it well. And then we can move on. And hopefully I get that opportunity. Like you said, being, uh, I'd rather be the rock star, or at least shoot to be the rock star than the, the person who just gets their, their five years by putting in time. So let's go ahead and talk about diversity a little bit. And um, I have some pretty, pretty strong opinions on the subject. Uh, I've shared some of them in the past. I'm going to go ahead and share one with you now. And then we'll go ahead and dive in and get some thoughts as we go around here. I think diversity is key. I think it is 100% necessary in any organization, in any environment for innovation and to, to move forward. But I don't think of diversity as a strict black, white, male, female. I think of diversity in much different ways. I think of it being the frontline employee versus the mid-level management. I think of it being, you know, the coach and the mentor. I want to hear from all sorts of people within the organization. It doesn't matter to me, Keith, if because you're white and maybe we have a white mentor, I don't want to change the, the color. I want to change the thought. So, you know, and like Jonathan mentioned, the male-female thing, in my organization, we don't pay based on anything other than merit. So if you hold a position, you get a paycheck. If you move to the next position, you get the pay that, that aligns with that position. So we don't struggle with that type of issue. And I, I will tell you, there are plenty of times where women don't apply for the same type of jobs. However, if they do, they have a fair shake just like anybody else does because we shouldn't be hiring based on you know sex or color. We should be hiring based on skill. And the diversity should come in from the different steps along the hierarchy or different people that can bring in different opinions. 
So let's go ahead and get some other thoughts and see if anybody agrees or disagrees with me. Keith, I'll start with you. Okay. Well, as far as, I mean, it's, it's a hot, man, it's a hot topic all over the news. Um, yeah. You know, what I, what I do not like in a lot of corporate organizations is a good old boy network. Don't like it at all, right? Th I think it needs to be obliterated somehow. I don't know how without damaging the economy and starting all over again. But there are some paradigm shifts and some way of thinking that has to go away, right? So, you know, my next position, because I play golf with somebody and giving somebody a break, you know, I don't know, you know that could have negative ramifications for somebody that's been waiting for that position and never got the chance to be mentored because nobody ever talked to them. They're the hard worker. They've done every crap job. I've scrubbed floors. I've done this exemplary right, record on everything. But then, you know, VP position comes up and the next thing I know is like, Hey, this is our new VP of such and such. Oh, well, I didn't know that was even a thing, right? So that I think that's my opinion on it. We, we do have to break some molds and, and stop some of this stuff that's going on. All right, Miss Mindy, I know you work in the, the education world and you really don't have much say when it comes to that um, subject. You don't get to make those decisions, but you know, in general, in corporate world, how do you, how do you feel about it? Well, I do want to tag on to what Keith was saying as far as, you know, oh, I play golf with someone, so I get that opportunity over someone else. But some of that, too, Keith, I'm going to throw this in there just as another perspective. Is it also about networking? You know, yes, we need to be skilled, but we also need to make sure that we're networking as well. I mean, I just, you know, it's, it's important. Yeah, it's important mm -hmm. that we're, we're talking to people. Um, you know, and, and although I've never been a fan of talking to the big boss because it's going to get you somewhere, that was never me. I felt like it was about hard work and I'm going to show you what I can do. And yes, I'm going to have soft skills and be kind to you and respectful, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there the right way. Right. But that doesn't mean I can't go have a good, you know, I'm not going to golf with you, but <laughs> I'm going to do some maybe karaoke with you. I don't know. Um, you as, far as, <laughs> as far as diversity, though, like in the corporate world, education, etc. I mean, I am, I love, because um, I, I go beyond also gender, I go beyond um, race, etc. I also look at it as personality, right? What do we, what do we offer? one another? What can we learn from one another? If we're all one size fits all, how boring would we be? Right? Like that's not the kind, that's not the kind of work environment that I want to be in. That's not the kind of society I want. I want to be with others that I can learn from and grow. Um, and that comes down to even like my personal relationships, relationships, my friendships. I don't want to be around people that are just like me. That sounds boring look at so, it look at it right yeah. here we get the two of us on the <laughs> east coast and two of them on the west coast surely we are diverse jonathan <laughs> sir we have a, a countless amount of questions coming in and i want to give you an opportunity to answer some of them but before we do i want to mention that you you are definitely knee deep in this topic in in this industry and i'm i'm just 
on the edge of my seat waiting to hear your opinions on the subject. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you. Um, so I, I think what, what everyone has mentioned already is absolutely true. There's a, there's a wide range of different types of diversity and we need to embrace all of it. So you may have seen, for example, depictions of what's called the diversity wheel, um, where you have like kind of layers of diversity and in the, in the center, is you know race ethnicity gender you know some of these more visual things and and those are the things we tend to talk about the most and i do believe that's important and and i'll mention why here in just a moment but there's you go out to the outer layers and you have other things like you know socio socio-cultural norms socio so i can't talk social <laughs> uh and economic kind of perspectives you have um you have different uh cultural backgrounds that people come from you have I mean there's just so many things that make people see the world differently and ultimately what I want for myself what I want for my my uh, my peer group my the people I interact with at work is I don't want to be stuck in a bubble I don't want to be you know in an echo chamber where I'm just surrounded by yes men who are just telling me what I want to hear and then and then I'm just, re we're just regurgitating, right? The same ideas over and over and over again. And so you have to get people with different perspectives. Otherwise you're toast if you want to have any sort of innovation. Uh, so I 100% agree with that. Um, now I also, I, I'm a white dude. And so I'm a middle-aged white guy. I'm straight, cisgendered. Um, I have all the privileges and I recognize that. I've also been passed over for things. I've been told explicitly, I've been passed over for things because you know, they wanted to give it to a woman of color. And on one, on the one hand, you know, I, from a, a, a strictly merit-based approach, you know, I sh probably should be upset. Uh, but I also can recognize that there are systems and structures in place that have dis that, you know, have given me privilege and have disadvantaged other people. So while on paper, maybe I'm more qualified, they're just as capable. And we, ne we do need to provide opportunities for other people, particularly from marginalized and disenfranchised groups to have those opportunities. So I am a believer in that. Um, but ultimately that comes back to like merit that actually matters. Um, not like arbitrary, like we do not need to be hiring someone based on, well, this person has more years of experience on their resume. So that means we hire them. Well, guess what? A white guy is probably going to have more years on his resume than a woman who might've taken some years off to have a kid. That doesn't mean I'm any better than that person just because I have an arbitrary number of years. And so we rethink what matters, what merit means, um, what those metrics actually should be that will translate into performance. And then we can hire related to that. The other thing I was going to say is, is looking for ways within organizations to dismantle the systems and the structures that have historically privileged certain groups and disadvantaged other groups. So the good old Boyd network, that's, that's one example, right? Um, that's a problem. And do we need to learn how to network professionally? Absolutely we do. Um, but that doesn't then give us a pass and say, well, you know, I'm just going to hire my, my white buddy because he's part of the good old boy network and, and not consider other people. So we have to actively look for ways to, to, um, dismantle negative systems and replace them with, uh, with processes uh, policy process, uh, policies, processes, procedures within organizations that are actually fair and equitable, that are actually merit-based, that give 
that when we talk about equal employment opportunity, are we just saying that generally, or do we actually mean it? And are we really giving that to everyone? And I think that's a really important question to ask because I see it all the time that like strictly from a legal standpoint is, do you, do you have a legally defensible, um, uh, way of, of, uh, demonstrating why you hired this person? That's good. But can we go beyond that kind of low bar and actually talk about who actually was the best for the position and why, and have we actually really truly given everyone an equal opportunity? Um, if we can say that, then great, whether it's the white guy, the woman of color, the whatever, right? Uh, and ultimately to, to the points that have been made, yeah, let's get a diverse group of cognitive diversity, right? A diverse group of people with different framings, different worldviews, different ways of understanding, so we can tackle these complex, difficult problems and try to drive, you know, innovative solutions. No, that's great. I, I love it. No, you get some, some great thoughts and opinions. And I want to tag onto one of them real quick because I, again, I believe on hiring the right person for the right job. I don't necessarily care on what your background is. If you're a woman or a person of color, if, if you could be an alien, if you're the right person for the job, let's go ahead and, you know, work with that person. I think that's what matters. Um, and then let's pay them fairly. Let's pay them exactly what the, the rest of the team at that level gets paid. And that way we don't have any issues to go with. Um, however, I also believe that it's the employer's right to make those decisions. So if an employer offers Keith, if you're coming aboard and I tell you, Hey, I've got this position for you, it pays a hundred grand a year. And you think the position's worth 120, you don't have to take it. You know, if my organization can only budget a hundred thousand dollars for that position, I agree. Maybe the position is worth 120, but that should be their right too. They should say, look, we can only afford to pay this much. And this is what well, that's true. the rest of the people in our, our company that are in this position, that's what they get paid. And they got to so, be competitive. And if they're not competitive, uh, competitive <laughs> enough, then they're just not the, going to hire somebody. So right. that's like, what well, they I can face. only give a hundred thousand, but right. I, I've we deal been with that. searching for 10 years and you know, I can't find anybody right. that's going to take this job for that much. We do that all the time because we work with, you know, countless different clients. And like Jonathan mentioned earlier with these tech companies, when we're dealing with the Facebooks and the Googles, they have no problem because they pay higher than everybody else. But the other companies are still paying. They're paying lower, lower wages. Sure. But it's your decision on whether or not you want to take that position. And That's they true. can't afford to pay the higher wages like Facebook does. And if they and don't, they can't then they afford need to, to give free food or daycare or any of those type of things. Then they, they can so. compete in some other ways of, of, you know, either appealing to their culture or, you know, the, the company's values towards the community, things of that nature that they can offer in place of the higher wage that they could still be competitive and offer other types of perks like free oh. chicken wings and a foosball table. There you go. You Mindy, before me. I go to these questions here, did you have something you wanted to add? I just I just want to throw this in there. You know, we haven't even talked about an all-inclusive environment when it comes to maybe um, individuals with disabilities and what accommodations should companies provide to make sure that we are being inclusive oh. and we are having, I mean, we, we haven't even touched on that. I mean, and I agree to we're coming at the end of our, our program, but this is definitely something to unpack later too, so... Yeah, and, and adding on to that, 
yeah. neurodiversity is a big topic. And, you know, you, you look at, there are so many people, for example, on the autism spectrum yes. that have tremendous skills. They can contribute in, in really meaningful ways, yet they don't, like people on the spectrum tend to not go through the typical traditional interview process very effectively, right? Um, does that mean we're not going to leverage their skills and capabilities? I, if, if that's our decision, that's our loss because we're going to miss out on some really great talent. And so we do need to look for opportunities to, to create on ramps for people who may come from diverse backgrounds that the traditional structures, the traditional systems aren't well accommodating, you know, for, for individuals who can make really great contributions. Exactly. Very good point. Well, before we go, I do want to answer some of these questions because people are taking the time to type them. We should take the time to answer them. So I'm going to go ahead and read them off and I'll just go around the room here and we can do quick rapid fire answers. I'll kick it off. First question says, why is diversity a good thing? I think diversity is a good thing because it leads to innovation. It leads to a more, um, I don't want to use the word diverse, but a, a wider way of looking at things. So if we're taking the time to take in opinions from the entire team, we might hear an answer that we wouldn't have thought of ourselves. Keith, sir, what are the main points of diversity? Ah, just a better work environment. It's fun. You know, if, I, if I'm around too many people like me, it just uh, doesn't hold the same allure. Yeah, that's so boring, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> very boring. <laughs> embrace our differences learn from one another and i, you, I agree you didn't with you, want Jane, your own innovation <laughs> you didn't want your own question didn't want how can <laughs> how can how can we introduce diversity without making it look forced oh expert jonathan that's yours jonathan take that one on for us buddy <laughs> i was gonna say i can go on a rant you know right, jonathan <laughs> yeah, I, I think with if you don't want it to look, it's like with anything, if you don't want it to look yeah. forced, then don't force it. Uh, be genuine and authentic and yes. and like actually do it according to your values. If it's an important, if inclusion is an important value in your organization and amongst your team, it's not going to feel forced because people are going to recognize this is important to us. Maybe we don't know how to do it very well. Maybe we haven't done it well historically, where there's lots of room for improvement. Okay, so let's have some open, transparent dialogue and try to figure this out. And, you know, just yeah. like the old episode of The Office where Michael Scott does the diversity. Do you remember the Diversity Day episode? <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's so painful, right? Because it, it's just maybe good intentions, but it's just so awkward and, and totally misses the mark. Um, yes. And it's totally forced, right? And the corporate guy comes in. He's just trying to check the box. That, that, that kind of stuff doesn't work. There's lots of research on this. If that's your approach to diversity yeah. and inclusion, it's not going to work. So, so just be genuine, authentic, and, and yes. try to tackle it together as a team. And that's the first that's thing awesome. they go for is to check that box off. I've, I've gone to seen companies that, you know, it's like, well, your bonuses, you know, are based off of, you know, how diverse things are. So, you know, it's just uh, – I don't think that's an authentic way. That that's I agree with this whole force thing. Good, good, good deal. All right, moving on. I'm going to go ahead and toss the, the next round here. I'll start it off. Should um, should we recruit for diversity? Again, my favorite answer. It depends. 
it depends on what we consider diversity to be. If we consider diversity to be a different set of opinions, absolutely. If we consider diversity to be just checking a box that we're going to hire Mindy instead of Keith because she's a woman, no, I don't think that's what we should be doing. I think we should be searching for the different thought processes and people who can actually bring some some different vantage points to our organization. Keith, sir, this is my favorite question for you. I, it could not be a more a more suitable question for you. Why are people getting so upset with Marvel Comics? Oh, well, yeah, there we go. Now we're talking. <laughs> Geek show. All right. Uh, they are getting, because of the writer staff, they are introducing and they are forcing a more woke type of storyline and more woke type of characters. And I tell you, it all goes down to the type of writing there is, you know, doing the right thing, and then there's just forcing the right thing. And if you force the right thing, or if you forcing these concepts and not letting them naturally evolve, and it's just a blatant, outright, you know, this this is all it's about, then it's it's going to fail, and and that's why. So they've had a, a big shift to where everything has to be some type of political statement all the way everything it's just can't be just entertainment alone it has to have some type of message which a lot of the fan base does not like and you know we'll stop reading certain and they're like well how come nobody's reading our stuff well that's because you're just forcing things jonathan that that was just a great point about authenticity? authenticity Yep, yeah, I love it. There you go. Authenticity. All right, Miss Mindy. What is diversity management and what are some practical ways of promoting diversity? Well, again, I mean, Jonathan, that, this is what... I'm saving the, the killer one for you. <laughs> well, again, like we have been talking about, I mean, I think it goes into um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in continued education in the workplace as well. It doesn't have to necessarily be a formal education system set up in the university setting. It could also be in your organization. And um, instead of just checking that box, making it, um, maybe you're training more of a role play type, um, really coming together. And again, going back into that authenticity, being real about it, um, and not forcing the situation. So diverse, you know, diverse, getting that diversity and, and managing that, it could require further training, um, constant communication, talks, being open, being real with one another, um, and professional, very respectful and professional as well. All right, Jonathan, buddy. Here we go. What I consider to be the killer question of the evening. Should diversity be mandated and should we enforce it legally? Um, so like from the standpoint of like equal employment opportunity or like quotas, uh, affirmative action. Them? Let's go with quotas. I, I can't put answers in, in or I can't put words in their mouth, yeah. but I can say quotas is most likely the the scenario. Here. Yeah. Like I, I am a 100% believer in equal employment opportunity. Um, I, I think we need to, to provide that, uh, give everyone an equal shake. Um, 
there, there is a misconception about affirmative action and quotas that only applies in very limited circumstances, often for organizations that have government contracts. Most corporations don't have any sort of quotas or affirmative action um, requirements placed upon them. Um, but the problem does become, you know, if, if you have like, a, if you have a, a really bad track record, if you have lots of complaints with the Department of Labor, your organization, you know, like 90% of people in leadership positions are men, and there's hardly any women, and there's lots of like, sexual harassment complaints and like mm. all it so so you can start to have a track record where at some point you'll you'll um the 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 uh, regulation bodies will come in and they'll mandate okay your organization basically you're in timeout we're gonna like force you now <laughs> to try to to <laughs> clean up your act so that does happen uh and like then Congress. organizations <laughs> so it's interesting. I think for most organizations, though, there's no like actual quotas that you have to do. But I would say like if I'm if if I'm looking at my team and and, you know, our the surrounding community is, you know, let's say it's let's say you live in a, a heavily Hispanic uh, community where there's, you know, equal men and women and lots of Hispanics, but lots of white people as well. And you have almost no Hispanic individuals in your company and you have almost no women in your company or in leadership positions. Y yeah. You need to take a hard, good, hard look at that. And you, as a, as a leadership team, you need to, to do some self-reflection and, and, and critique yourself a little bit. Like there's probably reasons for that, that go beyond simply, you know, did we hire the best person? There's probably some implicit biases that are negatively impacting other people's chances and so we can try to dismantle some of those and, and truly give everyone a fair shake so that that would be kind of my approach very, very nice i also like to tag on to what miss mindy mentioned about opportunities for education i think one of the biggest things we can promote in a leadership position is the educational opportunities within our organization to everybody that wants to go out and take it so it doesn't matter who you are, male, female, white, black, or anything else, go. If you want to take the next step to move forward, show the initiative that you're doing that, get the skills necessary for that position, and then put your name in the hat, and you should be the one selected. And you should be paid the same as anybody else in that position. And I'm aware, too, in the world of, um, in corporate world, that there is a range. There's a price range, and, you know, we need to take some things into consideration for that. I know in my world, things are pretty set it's contract and we pay by the contract and whoever holds the position gets the rate. I get that, but we need to be fair enough that we understand we're paying based on the, the position. All right, folks. Well, we have reached the top of the hour, which means we have reached the end of the show. This is one that um, I, I, we could have gone on for another hour or so. So we're going to do that. We're going to go on for another two hours. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and call it here. We've had an opportunity to discuss recruiting challenges in the state of recruiting here in the COVID um, aftermath. And I say aftermath as if it's over, but um, the, the change in the recruiting processes now that COVID has been introduced into our lives. And then um, the diversity in the workplace, our different opinions on it. I think we can all agree that diversity is a positive thing and something we need to include in the workforce. 
Um, it does, and it is the birth of innovation. So I, I absolutely agree that is something we should be working on. But I do stand by the point that we should be working on diversity from different areas, different mindsets, different ways of thinking, things that will add to the productiveness of our organization. And so as we reach the end of the show, if you found any value in the show whatsoever, please tell a friend. Make sure you stop by the website, franzianfriends.com. Follow, like, share, do all those things. But most importantly, just stop by, say hello, ask some questions, engage with some conversation. Keith, sir, as always, I thank you for pushing the buttons, especially mine. Miss Minnie Joe. you disappointed me Monday night. Very disappointing. You left me alone with Keith. <laughs> that is your only job here is to not leave me alone with Keith. I will thank you tonight for not leaving me alone with Keith, and I hope it does not happen again, Miss Mindy. <laughs> and Jonathan, sir, thank you for joining this crazy circus of ours. We do appreciate it. You are a wealth <laughs> of information. Do you have anything at all that you would like to leave us with? Uh, no, I, I just really appreciate it. Great conversation. I, I really appreciate all of your perspectives and input and, you know, important topics. I think the most important thing is that everyone who's been joining us today, that you just take the time to think through these things, have these conversations with your teams um, and come up, you know, collectively collaborate in a collaborative fashion, come up with an approach that your team can buy into and, and start moving forward. Uh, you don't have to do everything all at once. Just start, you know, taking that first step and, and, and work towards improvement and you'll enhance the environment for everybody. Uh, fantastic words to end our show by also a quick shout out to Kenneth and Bo brothers. Thank you both for chiming in tonight. Bo, thank you for your, your insight and your comments. I appreciate it. And Kenneth, man, buddy, thank you for hanging in there with us week after week, night after night and sharing your thoughts. They, they always make me smile. Keith, sir. Have a good night. See ya. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. 
We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.